0: in case. (laughs) Thank you. Alrighty, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to start with verse 12 today. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're continuing on through Colossians and... As Paul and Timothy describe this newness which comes through Christ, this new humanity, this new sense in which we are able to overcome rather than be overcome, um, they begin to describe what it looks like. What does the lifestyle under the lordship of Jesus look like? Um, Are we continuing on the same path as before, looking the exact same, or are we to do other things, live differently than what we had lived previously. Um, And so Paul and Timothy, they they present us with that. They present us with a few virtues that we are to look for in each other and ourselves as we continue to live together. Uh, So verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So this new paragraph begins with put on then. As we remember from the previous verses, Paul and Timothy have made it known that they should take off that which was still glorifying the elemental powers of the world. Thus they were warned by saying, take off. Now, however, they admonish to put something on in its place. Yet before they can elaborate on what it is that they're to put on, they call the Colossians God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Beloved. All three of these expressions are found in the Old Testament and relate to Israel, in particular how Israel was chosen from all the nations and specifically how God chose them to be his people and not the other way around. Um, This naturally leads to how they are holy and that they are separate from other nations and beloved by belonging specifically to God and thereby dearly loved by him, thus by Calling them this, Paul and Timothy remind them that they are inheritors of the same promises that Israel was promised, being reassured of their status with God as chosen, holy, and beloved. Upon reminding them of these things, Paul and Timothy then begin to elaborate on what it is that they are to put on. Um, Thus, now begins what is often called a virtue list within the scriptures, which goes directly against the vice list, which we saw last week. Thus, the first mentioned is compassionate hearts. Like our modern day, we often describe hearts as certain psychological aspects to each other. Thus, we love with our hearts. So it was in the New Testament era where the heart is the seat of emotions. As such, they are called to psychologically and emotionally be compassionate toward one another. Now the next is kindness, and this simply reflects on our call just to simply be kind to one another. And it fits well, obviously, with compassion. Humility, though, is interesting. Sometimes humility can be seen as actually a vice, like those whom Jesus critiqued for parading around their humility through their fasting and through their clothes. This kind of humility, however, is reminiscent of Jesus himself, who humbled himself. Thus, if Christ humbled himself by placing others above himself, so we should as well. Meekness represents not being too haughty with oneself, Again, this represents Jesus who was considered meek and humble in the New Testament. Despite Jesus being the most important, the highest, he very often showed meekness through service to others. Patience reminds us further of God's own character. He has shown us considerable patience when it comes to sin. Despite uh, deserving judgment for our first sin, God has been patient with us and even changes us for his glory. As such, we are called to be patient with one another, not only in regards to sin, but like God who is patient with us in our lives in all measures. Now this leads us to verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In the previous portion of the virtue list, we were able to see elements of God's own attributes, especially in regards to Jesus. This continues with bear with one another, which reflects Jesus' own nature in regards to his disciples. Despite them being different than he was, he bore them with their misunderstandings and with their failures, which we see aplenty within the Gospels. As such, we should do this as well as a community of believers, as the body of Christ, bear with one another. The concept continues with one as a complaint against another. This, this reflects the idea that if someone does something wrongfully toward another person, or if they slip up or mess up, what should we do if someone within our congregation wrongs us? The answer is to forgive them. What is the basis of this forgiveness? Christ himself. For it is through Christ that we are forgiven of all of our sin. How then could we not also forgive one another? Indeed, because we have been forgiven much, we must also forgive much. Verse 14, And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. At the beginning of the paragraph, Paul and Timothy continued the idea of putting on, as with a garment or clothes. So it is, they conclude the concept by telling the Colossian believers to put on love above all else. The simple truth is is that putting on all of these things, putting on the new man, is most characterized by love, which encompasses all the other attributes which Paul and Timothy have shared. The harmony reminds us that the unifying force of love is strong, and it will be this love which causes us to be unified in this Christian community together. Thus, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiveness, they're founded upon love. And as such, we should seek to love one another just as Christ loves us. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. If the previous verses were focusing on church unity, in loving one another and building up the community, it's compounded in this verse. The concept of the peace of Christ is one which has many undercurrents, not least of all the reality of finding peace with God rather than being at war with God. But the peace of God also goes further. For once we have peace of God within ourselves, that peace overflows into all other places in our lives. Thus, the peace here is specific, as we see that it is to rule in our hearts. This is personal. We are to each have this peace of God in our hearts, and we do especially when we consider what he has done through Jesus Christ. Thus, this peace is to rule over us. To rule is reminiscent of an umpire, a referee, the one who decides. Thus, peace is to be that mediator in our lives. Because of this, we can see how this peace of God, we find individually, leads to an outpouring toward one another. We see this, as Paul and Timothy say, to which you were called in one body. Um, This body language means to incorporate the corporate identity that we have as the church. As a community, as a church family, peace is to rule over each of us in love. It is to be the decider for us as we seek the kingdom of God together, even though we're different and even though things arise. Now verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul and Timothy continue their encouragements and in some capacity their imperatives, By telling the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, This likely refers to the word or message which is Christ himself, the gospel itself. The gospel, as we see frequently, includes all of the grace and the joy that God offers through his Son. Likewise, it includes all of Jesus' ministry and all the scriptures since they all point toward Christ. As such, let it dwell in us, remind us of the work that the gospel has in us, as it leads us to the lifestyle founded on Christ. Paul and Timothy then use two phrases, already seen in Colossians, with teaching and admonishing. These phrases go together, but in separate ways. To teach is to focus on specific teaching of what is right, good, and true. To admonish, however, reflects on warnings against false teachings. Um, So that which is wrong, bad, false. Seeking wisdom, specifically the wisdom of God, will lead us to know the difference between the two. But they are also called to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we're unsure why Paul and Timothy use these three terms here. Uh, Psalms and hymns especially can refer simply to Old Testament songs of worship. Some have even thought that the psalms represents the Old Testament psalms and hymns represent other compositions that aren't necessarily those psalms. Um, this is only speculation, however, as they seem likely to reflect one another in some way. Spiritual songs, however, may have a different understanding. It could mean uh, what the other two mean and that they're to sing songs of worship and praise. A spiritual identifies the kind of songs which are they, they are to sing together as they come together. Others, however, see this as a kind of spiritual worship which can spring up during worship. Uh, Thus, the kind of charismatic worship which may have been prevalent during the New Testament era. In either case, we see that the focus is on songs specifically geared toward worshiping God. Um, Now, the question which scholars debate is whether these singing of songs should be separate or with teaching and admonishing. That is, are they to sing songs that teach and admonish... Or is teaching and admonishing part of the service along with the singing of praises of worship? The answer is likely some combination of both. We have already been told of the necessity of teaching and admonishing. Thus, it is possible that it is re-emphasized here along with the necessity of worship. For our worship can be just as much a teaching and admonishing mechanism as a sermon. And I'll explain that later. Ultimately, these things, all of them, should be offered through thankfulness, which is why we come together, we worship, we sing, even to this day, 2,000 years later, doing exactly what they're saying here in this verse. Now verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul and Timothy conclude this section with an overall point to make, and that is whatever we are to do in life should be in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thus, our entire lives are to be given over to the glory of God through his Son. All the above are um, individualistic in that each one of us must put on the new man, the new image, the redeemed image. But at the same time, it will outpour to this community of believers. It also reminds us that God desires not some of our lives, but all of our lives. God did not redeem part of us, but every ounce of us. Um, Thus, all things belong to him. They also conclude by exhorting them to give thanks to God the Father through him. Because of what Christ has done, we can give thanks. And this thankfulness is further shown through when we live our lives for his glory. Alright, the main point of these verses are to describe both the individual Christian and the community in which they live. Simply put, we are not called simply by ourselves, but are called to live in community with one another in love. They also show how true spiritual growth comes from the head. For once we are given over all of our lives to Christ, then growth will occur. While the false teachers have been boasting in their experiences, what Paul and Timothy boast in is Jesus himself, who has redeemed all of who we are for his glory. Now this leads to some application points. What can we get from today? Well, in today's text we see a specific discussion concerning something which is dear to all all of us, and that's worship. We notice how Paul and Timothy tell the Colossians to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is very interesting in a number of different ways, especially when we consider how much variety there is when it comes to Christian worship today. Uh, for example, you have congregation who only sings the psalms, other congregation who sings only hymns, others who sing only modern worship songs, others who do a mixture of different things. Um, in all of this, you also have a debate around it: Which should we do? Which is the right way? Is there a right way? Before we come or answer some of those questions, we also want to ask another important question, and that is, what is the purpose of worship? What is the purpose of singing hymns, worship songs, or spiritual songs? What is the main focus, the main goal of us coming together to worship through song? Well, there seems to be a number of answers that tie into this question of the purpose of worship. And the first and the most obvious purpose of worship is to simply glorify God. When we come together and sing his praises, we join with a holy host of others who have sung as well. We join with all the saints who have come before us, who have sang out to the Lord with voices loud and strong. In fact, to sing songs of worship to God in order to praise His name is a very old custom within our history, that is, Israelite history, which we are now part of in Christ. When we consider how Moses led the worship and Miriam joined in in Exodus 15, and Moses as well seeing a prophetic hymn in Deuteronomy 32, and then when we jump ahead to David... Uh, we all know of the Psalms he wrote, so many which affect us even to this day when we read over them. We can find our own hearts in accord with David and all the other psalmists as they worship this God who has revealed himself to them. So that is the first purpose of worship it's to glorify God. Um, that we come together and we, uh, whether we sing well, uh, which or not, which is me, I don't, <laughs> doesn't matter. That we come together and sing knowing our God is being glorified is what matters. And it's what matters as we come together as a community singing his praises. But there's also more to worship. Paul and Timothy do indicate that we can learn from such kinds of worship. And I find it interesting... As I read today's text, and even more interesting when I read over the commentaries for the week, um, you know, it seems obvious that Paul and Timothy would say, hey, when you worship, you are being taught and admonished and teaching and admonishing. Now, why do I think that is obvious? Because in chapter 1 in Colossians, we read over the Christ hymn. Um, And that hymn, which was said so beautifully, its concepts have been seen throughout the letter. And I find it interesting that none of the commentators picked that up. Thus, this hymn, this worship of God, of Jesus, is being used by Paul and Timothy to teach and admonish the believers. It is being used to teach them the truth and at the same time admonish them concerning false teachings, uh, teachings which lead them to think less of Christ than he actually is. When we consider church history... We find that it is not only the case with the New Testament time that worship was used in such a way. Throughout the centuries of the church, Christian worship has been used as a means of teaching theology. Teaching about who God is. Where have we gotten this idea of teaching through worship? I would say the Psalms. It's been said that if you want to know who God is, the best place to go is the Psalms. In the Psalms we find worship which is complete, unwilling to hold back, willing to worship God for who he is in all of his glory. We learn about who God is in the Psalms. We learn that he is a loving God, a strong God, a God of wisdom, of knowledge, that all creation is his handiwork, and that he is above and supreme. This further has us considering how the Psalms not only teach us about who God is, but they also teach us the truth about God. This is an element which Jesus himself said concerning worship, that those who belong to him will worship him in spirit, but also in truth. If we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, then we can say that we are teaching and admonishing one another through our singing, through our worship. This, I think, leads us back to the original question. Is there a right or a wrong way to worship? I would say, yes, there is a right way and there is a wrong way, but it has nothing to do with what kind of worship. So psalms, hymns, or modern worship has nothing to do with the type of music. Instead, the only question we need to be asking ourselves about any form of worship is whether it is representing God in truth. So when I hear us sing hymns, great is thy faithfulness. I'm not going to sing these. Um, Or then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Or on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand. Or, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, what do you notice about these lyrics? Well, they're saying something about God and about us. From there we must ask the question, do they truthfully represent God? Well, we answer that by looking at the scriptures as our foundation for knowledge of God. And do you know what I find when I do look at the scriptures? I find that these lyrics faithfully and in truth speak about who God is and about who we are. What do I hear then when we sing these songs together? I hear us worshiping our God, learning about him through these means. And worshiping him in his glory. But the simple truth is it doesn't end there. The simple truth is that humans are creative and some have used their creativity to write beautiful and wonderful songs of worship to God even to this day. And I think of songs like, so we cry, holy, only begotten Son of God, ancient of days. And God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy. Or, oh, praise him, oh, praise him, he is holy, he is holy. Or, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I worship his holy name. Or, grace upon grace, every sin repaired, every void restored, you will find him there. In every turning, he will prepare you with grace upon grace. Or, no seam in this garment, or my rags to hide, no less than your love for Jesus is mine. When I stand on the edges of Jordan, the saints and the angels besides. When my body is healed, and the glory revealed, still I can boast only Christ because no one is good enough to save himself. Awake my soul tonight to boast nothing else. Just as the hymn lyrics we looked at previously, these new songs of worship seek to praise God in spirit and in truth. And just like the hymns, we can learn about our God through these forms and these ways. And praising God in these ways, rejoicing in creativity um, because we know that God himself is creative. We should celebrate those around us with such creativity. We should celebrate those who use it to glorify God. And we should recognize that if the songs are faithfully representing God in truth and speaking of him in truth, then it is good to sing, it's good to bring him praise. At the same time, our hymns that we sing do have an advantage in that they're written by men and women who truly did love theology. When we think of the Wesleys, the Watts, Crosby, we can think of individuals who loved their Lord and wanted to share not only their love of God with others, but also what they knew about their God. So we have a right to be critical of all worship because worship is teaching us something and admonishing in other things. We need to be critical of all hymns and worship songs because they may not be teaching us about our God rightly. They may not be seeking the truth, and as such, we should consider what we listen to and encourage others to hear what it is that we're hearing and whether they are seeking to worship God in truth. I'm going to pause there, Pat, for a second. I'll give you an example of a song that comes this close to being so good and then just completely messes it up at the end. Um, above All. Anyone know that song? By Michael w. Smith, Michael w. Smith. kind of made it famous. Above All Powers, Above All Kings. You ever notice the chorus of that song? It drives me insane. Uh, crucified, laid behind a stone, he lived to die, forsaken, or they say, rejected, it should be forsaken. Anyway, rejected and alone, like a rose, um, lying on the ground, I think. Uh, You took the fall, and thought of me above all. That close to getting it right. And then it changes it, and it makes it all about you. (laughs) And then the worship song isn't about God anymore. It's about you. That's not true worship. It messes up. Christ, you know what Christ was thinking when he stood up in the garden? His Father. Faithfulness to his Father. If he was thinking about you and I above all, A, he would be an idolater, <laughs> and B, he would be worshiping something other than himself us. And we're not worthy of worship. God is worthy of worship. So I'm critical of that song, <laughs> even though the rest of it I love. Like, I love all the other parts of it. If they just changed that one thing, I'd be like, yay! And then i get upset. And then i talk about it in a sermon, even though I probably shouldn't have. Anyway, the point is... Is there a point to all of this? I even wrote that. (laughs) Um, The point is, don't be afraid to worship. Worship well. But also consider that worship teaches us. Uh, Like all teachings, we must make sure that our worship is in the truth of the gospel. For nothing but the truth will lead us to our God. At the same time, rejoice, for there are many, many wonderful songs which are good, which are right, and which are in the truth. And there seems to be no limit to such worship, for it will not be long before another new song comes to our ears and our lips to sing about God, because he's that wonderful. Praise God. Praise God that there is so much to consider with our worship. Praise God that he teaches us and admonishes us through this worship. Praise God that he allows us to partake of worship. Praise God that we can glorify God with such creativity. Our God is truly amazing and is truly worthy of every form of worship we can provide. Paul's now. Again, I got another one coming. <laughs> All righty. Um, so another thing that they mentioned in the text is um, spiritual songs. And I wanted to make a point of this because this past week has been a rough week. Um, And then yesterday I was driving to do something for Carissa and a song came on the iPad and it just made me, oh, duh, why didn't I talk about that into this week's sermon? Because by that point I was done. Um, So I thought I'd just mention it here. Um, Spiritual songs. You know, not every Christian song is a worship song, technically speaking. Not every song you hear on the Christian radio is going to make you, you know, start praising God right then and there. Some Christian songs and good Christian artists in my mind are able to relate truth of life in their songs. And I think of Rich Mullins. Um, I think of Keith Green. I think of um, Andrew Peterson, Sarah Groves, a lot of wonderful songwriters who are able to look at life and then talk about it in a spiritual and understand it from God's perspective and how we're supposed to look at it. And um, so I was driving along and, then it, and I was having a really rough time at it because life. And then I hear this rap song, <laughs> and I kid you not, rap. And everyone's like, rap? And I'm like, yeah, rap. Um, because I'll tell you this now, and I've said it plenty of times, rap music in recent times has become some of the best theology I've ever heard out of songs. And uh, this one by the artist is nam- known as Ambassador. And, um, and it was just so wonderful because it just lifted me out of that pit. It just took me and it was like, hello, remember this. This is truth. This is God. God is here now. And uh, the lyrics are it wasn't a fancy car, it wasn't a diamond ring, it wasn't friends or lovers at the end of the day, it was his favor. It's his favor. Um, And it reminded me, my God, literally, um, yeah, it is about you, it's about you providing not about these things. It's about you and what you provide me. And what the greatest thing that you provided for me? Jesus Christ, your son. Um, And then I heard another song right after that one by Sarah Groves. And uh, toward the end of the song, she sings, I've been here before, uh, feasting at a banquet in a desert land, saying I'll never doubt, never doubt again. And, And... it's a recognition that we could be in the desert and yet God's going to pull out a table and he's going to make us feast and he's going to provide us with things that we need to get by through the desert. And I thought to myself, yep, I've been there before too. <laughs> I've been there too before when I've, when I've been in that situation. Um, and then in the end, she ends up saying, I've been here before and let me tell you what I see. The hand of grace reaches down to me and a voice in says that you will be free. And I think to myself, truth there's truth here. And so, when I again, when I, I just want to bring that up because not necessarily are Christian songs just worship songs, but that doesn't mean that they're not providing truth to us where we need to hear it. And God can use these things. And, yeah, you want to test them all according to the scriptures. There are some really bad songs out there on the Christian radio stations. But there's a lot of good out there, too. Search, search them out, and it's worth searching out. All right. So the second point after that excessively long point... Uh, which came to mind, is a reflection of the previous point. In today's text, the very last thing that Paul and Timothy mentioned is that whatever we do, we are to do it unto Christ. What an interesting observation, which should quickly lead us to a glorious thought. In Sunday school, Mike has brought up this verse actually a few times, and I thank you for doing that. Um, And the reason why is that in Sunday school, we're currently in the book called Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. And in the book, she discusses how many find themselves with a dichotomy in their minds. Uh, They think of sacred things versus secular things. They think of this divide in their minds where, like, Sunday morning, for example, that belongs to God. And then my work week is my work week, and that's just how it is. It doesn't belong to God at all. Um, But what Piercy recognizes is that such an understanding of the world actually doesn't correctly represent Christianity. For in Christianity, we find a religion in which it encompasses all of reality. Thus, if you are a Christian business owner, it means that you will deal in ways which glorify Christ in your business. Or if you're a mother or father or grandmother or grandfather, you will raise your children, your grandchildren, in a way which glorifies God. If you're a worker, you will work for the glory of God. The way you talk, the way you think, the way you live, it all comes under the lordship of Jesus. The way you build a house. Thus, as the book is called, Christianity is total truth because it encompasses all things, the totality of things in this life. When we read this verse today, we are being called to remember this, that there is no secular, sacred divide in Christianity. It is not as though you come to church and worship on Sundays and then go the rest of your week without Christ. No, far from it. Instead, all things are under his lordship, and all things belong to him. And in this way, we are doing—we to do everything for his glory. Now, do you know what makes this so wonderful? Well, the first thing is that it reminds us that God redeems everything. God redeems you as a person. He wants you in your personhood to turn toward him and give yourself over to him with all of who you are. That we can do this, that God redeems all aspects of our lives is almost beyond comprehension to me. Yet the second thing that this leads to is how nothing, absolutely nothing in our lives is mundane. What I mean is, so often we can get into a rut, the daily grind. We can get into this understanding of how everything is the same, nothing changes, nothing new under the sun. We lament, just like Ecclesiastes. We can get into this place of wondering, Who cares? Who cares about the man who works 50 hours a week for his family or the wife who diligently is at home? Who cares about what you do personally? Do you know who cares? God. He wants it all. He wants to take these things which the world would consider unimportant and he wants to make them new and give them a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify him. This means that when you get up and go for a walk, you can glorify God. This means that when you're making dinner, it can glorify God. This means that when you're sleeping, praise God, you can glorify God. Nothing, absolutely nothing, falls outside of this. It is so great, it is so wonderful to consider that my God wants me, and all of me. How great is it to consider that, you know what? What you do is important to God. That He can take that which seems so small, And then make them so great. Why? Because it honors him and it glorifies him. And this is all seen even further when we consider all of the text. It is true that the text ends with a call to give all things over to Christ. But consider how it begins with having compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It continues with being roads, being covered ultimately in love, which is the foundation. And all these things... That you do. Do you know what we see most? Christ himself. For he had a compassionate heart. He was filled with kindness and humility and meekness and patience and washing the disciples' feet, being a kingly servant, especially toward his disciples and others. Thus, when Paul and Timothy lead with these virtues, it is merely a reflection of Jesus himself. Some might wonder about the forgiveness aspect. What about that? Well, that is rooted in Jesus' own teaching. The parable of the servant who owed his master a great debt, the trillion dollar debt as I call it. The servant begged forgiveness and the master complied. And then that same servant went out and found a man who owed him ten dollars and threw him in jail. When the master found out he was furious and the man who owed the greater debt was thrown into prison until the whole debt was paid. Christ says at the end, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You have been the one who has had the great debt. So am I. Yet God, in His infinite grace, has forgiven us of our debt. So when others sin against us, our spouses, our friends, our children, once or twice or even a hundred times, does it compare with the times that we've sinned against God? No. Yet God forgives us all of our debt against Him. And He does this through Jesus, His Son. As such, when we forgive one another of sins, especially other Christians, we remind each other of Jesus Himself who forgives us and loves us. Because of this, because God has forgiven us so greatly and loved us so much, Jesus can say in Matthew 6, "...for if you forgive others their trespasses..." Your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I think that this is the encouragement we finally finally receive from Paul and Timothy. All of our lives can glorify this great God. All of our lives can be used as instruments of worship. You and I are called to no less. For the business person, for the parent, for the married, for the single, for the worker, for the owner, for the healthy, for the ill. No matter who you are, you can glorify God and give all of yourself over to Christ. The more we give ourselves over to Christ in all of our lives, the more we will look like him as we live. Having compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, forgiveness, patience, and all of it rooted in love. Previously, we found how God is worthy of all forms of worship. Well, he is worthy of all of your life too. So as we learned, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Jesus, He is worthy of this. Our, sa- our Savior, our salvation, He is worthy of our entire lives. And the more we look like Him, the more peace we will find personally, as well as corporately, as we are founded in love, under His Lordship, now and forever. And of course, this leads us to the Gospel. And I can't walk that way. I could. I could do it, but it would be like trying to walk on a minefield. I'm going to go this way, um, and so this leads us to the gospel and the gospel of Jesus. It reminds us of everything that we're reading in Colossians, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Because Paul was very influenced by the gospel. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was his goal in life: was to promote the gospel in every capacity. To recognize that you. Can give yourself over to Christ. In all measures. and all manners. That everything in your life. Can be used as a means to glorify. Your savior Jesus. And that gives you a lot of purpose in life. I mean. There are angels who sing back and forth. In the throne room of God. Holy. 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 And then we're called to do the same thing. With our lives. That's crazy. It's wonderful. And the gospel begins with our origins, that we are all created by this great God who created us seemingly out of nothing just to simply give us his image. And to be, have this image of God in us, to be able to also have these other attributes of God, to love, to have peace, to be able to do all the things that we're called to do, have meekness, patience, humility. How wonderful. And that ultimately all lives, all human life, Ultimately, does have dignity, sanctity, and worth. And then, of course, that leads us to the fact that, okay, we're created in such a wonderful way. What happened? There's so much that goes wrong. We already talked about what happened in the church in Texas this past week. How can things get that messed up? How can we have so many wars? How can we have so much death? How can we have so much sickness and awful things that happen? Well, it happens because we're creating the image of God true, and that means that we're also given this thing called freedom which is the freedom of will freedom of choice and with our freedom of will and our freedom of choice we chose sin and Adam and Eve they chose sin first true but we've chosen sin ever since and because of that we have broken relationships with ourselves with God with each other and the world around us which is why all these terrible terrible things happen what can we do well You and I can do nothing, but what God can do is change us. And that is exactly what He does through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that's through redemption. And that's what we see today in today's text, what redemption looks like for us. Because Jesus Christ came, He suffered, He came, He died, He lived, He was resurrected. He lived a complete and total life, in complete obedience to His Father in heaven, and yet He still died on a tree. You ever ask that question, you know, why does why do bad things happen to good people? Um, makes me think about Jesus. <laughs> and ultimately, kind of puts things into perspective that God used the greatest atrocity in human history of someone who was truly innocent of all wrongdoing being put to death on a tree to redeem. <laughs> and if God can do something like that, he can redeem all of you too. And that's mind-boggling to me. And so it is that if we place our faith in what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, then that means that we will be redeemed. And that redemption will bring about a complete change within us so that we will repent of our sins and turn toward God in the ways that are described here in today's text. We'll robe ourselves in love. We will put on the image of Christ and seek to look more like him every day of our lives. You know what? This life, it's leading somewhere. We can't get so focused on here and now because if we do, we will get stuck in the mire. However, if we continue to look forward, we will continue to see that we're being led to something so much greater than what we see here. When all of the world will be transformed then. It starts with us. It doesn't end with us. Eventually, the whole world will be turned upside down And all that is good will reign because Jesus is going to reign now and forever. And guess what? If you're in Christ, that means that you will reign as well. That means that you will enter into that kingdom. That means that you will belong in that kingdom of love now and forever. It starts now. You know, yeah, there's the opposite of that. There's the fact that if you don't, turn and repent and if you don't place your faith in Jesus then that means that you don't enter in that kingdom obviously. (laughs) It's just the reality of how life is and it's sorrowful at the same time. But at the same time, we have hope because if God can change me and if he can change you and if he can take the cross and use that to redeem the world, he can change anybody. So as we live, we don't give up on hope on anyone because God can redeem anyone for his glory. And so as it is, we continue forward, the church. We continue forward, worshiping God in all ways. And we continue forward, faithfully seeking Him in all things. When bad things happen, look to the cross. When sorrow happens, look to the cross. When joy happens, look to the cross. Again, in Christ we have redemption of all things. Let us always remember and let us go out in that in peace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have redeemed us through his blood and that ultimately everything in our lives come under his lordship if we place our faith in him. Lord, we ask that you would continue to persevere us, that we would continue to seek out your will, and that you would give us the strength to face each day. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins which is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And when we place our mind on that, Lord... Let it always remind us to forgive one another. And Lord, we especially thank you for the love found in Christ because that too will lead us to love one another in truth. We thank you again. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn, Be Thou My Vision.